God is good. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 22, and uh, we're going to be diving in to our cross-study part three, the Lamb who was slain. Um, at this church, we, we walk a, a fine line, and I think it's a line that, that we've got to walk, and that fine line that we're walking is, is we're always keeping an open, an open ear to the Spirit and what He might want to do in the place, but we're also being faithful to the Word of God and the Bible being preached. And I think some people get too far over on the Bible side, and God ain't going to do nothing. We're going to teach the Bible, and that's it. And there's some people too far on the other side. On the, on the Word-heavy side, uh, I believe if you get too heavy there and don't have an expression or an openness to the Spirit of God, I, I think you can kind of dry up, right? And if you get too far over here, you kind of get chaotic and chaos happens. And then you can kind of blow up and lose your mind. Um, but if you stay in the middle somewhere and find a balance, you can grow up and, and grow up in God. And so, so we're always walking this fine line here of, God, what do you want to do? And, and God, what, what's kind of going on? So we're, we're kind of going to, we're, we're trying to go down this path. And, and I think it's always going to be tension. Because some people are going to think, man, time to get in the Word. Other people are going to think, man, we should have kept that going. We were just about to break through. And, and so we're all feeling this tension and, and following God together as a group of people. And so, um, and that's okay is what I'm trying to say. And it doesn't mean necessarily anybody was right or anybody was wrong. It just means we're a church that's going to always walk that line. And we're going to always be open to the Spirit, but we're going to always take the Bible so seriously and study God's Word. Um, because if not for the Bible, how would we know the nature of Jesus and His teaching separate from the Bible? But at the same time, Jesus makes a statement to some Pharisees in John chapter 5 where He goes, In the Scriptures, you search them out because in them you think you have eternal life. But the Scriptures are those that speak of me. So you can search the Bible and miss Jesus. So that's kind of the tension that, that, that we're going we're gonna to always walk that line in the church. And sometimes we're gonna, we're, we might be over here a little bit. And then sometimes we might be over here a little bit. But, but we're trying to keep this balance here. Okay? And so, uh, so you guys are on this journey with us. And, uh, and so that's just kind of, we want to be a spirit and a word church. But Genesis chapter 22, and this is a, a unique story in the scriptures because you, you find Abraham here, and he was given a promise by God. He was told when he was about 75 years of age to leave his home and everything that he knew to be familiar, to begin to follow God and walk this journey of faith, and that God would reveal each step as he would trust God and, and submit to those steps in which God was taking. And as those steps were, were accumulating, God told him that he was going to, to give him a son of promise, that this son was going to come, and he gets this promise when he's 99 years old and his wife is 90 years old. So in other words, God's saying, I'm going to give you this promise in a time where it would have been impossible in and of yourself to produce the promise. 
So if you're in a place where you feel like, in my flesh, I can't do anything, it's a great time to get the ear to hear the Spirit of God for Him to speak a promise to you that you couldn't fulfill if you were in a place that, uh, where you could have fulfilled it. It's, it's a, something that where only God could get the glory. And so there was this idea that Sarah's womb was, was, was going to be dead and that there was no way this child could be born. And, but that's exactly the way God set it up, that there would be this child of promise that only God could make happen. Only God could do this. So Abraham wouldn't look back and say, wow, look what I did. Or, or wow, look how awesome God told me, but yet I did it in my own strength. No, that he would always look and say, man, only God could have made this happen. So it's this weird tension between the supernatural and what only God can do, but yet a natural element to where Abraham was a part of it. And that's the, the really the matter is, is that God is spirit. And so in order to manifest, it's things got to be flesh in order to manifest in the world. And so, so that's what all this promise was about. It was about something that, that only God could do. But yet, uh, he was going to use Abraham to do it in a way that Abraham wouldn't take credit for it. So there's a lot of tension here. So God's done all this and gave the promise and all these things. But then in chapter 22, something strange happens. And Isaac would have been about a teenager at this time. And his older brother, Ishmael, has been kind of dismissed or, or whatever. Uh, and so now Isaac's kind of grown up as the son of promise. He's coming into his own as his own person. And yet God asks Abraham to do something really crazy here. Okay? Almost unsettling, really. And we'll, we'll just dive right in. Verse, uh, verse 1, Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, notice his name's already changed, so now he's not just Abram, father, he's Abraham, father of many nations. And here's his only son, so it's kind of a kind of an odd irony, uh, ironic thing here. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So here God had given him the promise and made it in such a way where only God could fulfill the promise. And now he's saying, now you in your own strength, uh, be rid of the promise that I gave to you. This is unnerving. It's unsettling. And as you read this, you're almost saying, no. No, God, you're not like that. Right? God, you're not like that. You don't give promises and then pull them back and have people murder promises. So what God wants to happen here in the text is you to say no. He wants you to see the absurdity of this and the fact that you're unsettled means that you understand the nature of God. 
So you don't have to reconcile this and say, hey, how, why, why is this this way or what, what is going on here? Is no, you're supposed to read this and say, no, God's not like this. That this is something unfolding it. It doesn't even seem to make sense in the character and the nature of God. And here he tells them to go offer a burnt offering one of the mountains that he shall tell him. So he doesn't even tell him where. So it's like, now go on this faith journey with the promise and kill the promise. But look at this, verse 3. No dialogue here. Look at this, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So Abraham doesn't get in this thing that we, we imagine in our mind, right? We imagine a dialogue and a fierce like struggle and, and that's how even the, the movies portray it when this is depicted of this but it says Abraham got up early. He put on the pot of Folgers and said, let's get cracking. Right? He just gets started on this. So now it's getting even more ironic. Because God in whom we love and who's full of love is asking this strange command. And the Abraham who we've grown to love up until this point and who Paul uses as his explanation of the foundation of our salvation and whom he appeals to in Romans 4 in his life and journey that predated the law but yet was accredited to him righteousness because he believed God. The guy we love, Abraham, is now doing something that seems contrary because the God we thought we knew or think we know has told him to do something contrary. So now we've got the loving father telling something crazy to one of his servants and that loving father seeming to be doing something really strange. And right now our minds are trying to reconcile what in the world is going on here. And some of us are so afraid to even question what in the world's going on here we've tried to find some way to make this make sense like this is the story that when like a new believer reads you're like okay skip over genesis 22 and go on and oh start in john start in the gospel of john right it's almost embarrassing but you're supposed to feel that way. And the reason Abraham gets up early and puts on the pot of Folgers is he understands the nature of God and so he can step into something that even seems contrary to the nature of God because he knows God even past the commands of God. That he would know yeah, that's God's voice, but that's not his nature. Almost like God is testing him to say, how well do you know my nature? And Abraham says, I know it well. Come on, boy. 
Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. Notice the third day there. This is uh, looking forward to the, to the Jesus and, and, and that kind of reality of him being the sacrifice for sin. Verse 5. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So we don't see Abraham writhing and kind of wiggling and going through this. He's like, oh yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to be back. Me and the boy's going to go. You're going to stay here, but, but we're, we're all going to come back. So you see here, Abraham's understanding the father's nature, even contrary to what he's even told him to do. Verse 6, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and watch what happens. He lays the wood on his son. What do you think this looks like? Here we're getting a foreshadow of the cross before. So he puts the wood on the boy. And look at this. He takes the knife in his hand. He takes the fire in his hand and the knife. So here's, get this weird, crazy picture with me, okay? Here's the son with the wood. Here's the father with fire and a knife. (laughs) Don't you think Isaac's wheels are turning here? I got wood. You got fire and a knife. Hmm. Something's not adding up here, maybe. Now look at this, verse 7. And Isaac said to his father, said to Abraham, My father... And get this, what he says. And he said, here I am. Notice this is the second time he said that. God said, hey, Abraham, here I am. Right? Now his son. Hey, father, here I am. There's something being unraveled here in this story. And my son, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for the offering? Verse 8, and Abraham said, oh man, thank you. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So this is really this crazy story of how Abraham understood the nature of God before God has really revealed his nature unto us all. That through his relationship with God, he understood the goodness of God and how God was. So he's able to step into this strange command, understanding that God would never ask such a thing. So he's doing it so assuredly, not because he's bloodthirsty or not because he's crazy or not because he's so zealous for God he's willing to kill. Is that he's going with God because he understands God's too good to allow something like this to happen. So he knows God in a different kind of way. He knows God personally. See, the nature of the Father father is being revealed to us here. Because Isaac wouldn't go if he didn't trust the Father. Right? He would have saddled up a donkey and said, I'm getting out of here. This man's crazy. He says, no, I'll go with the Father even without a lamb and slap the wood on my back because I know God's... A God of life, not death. And Abraham grabs the fire and grabs the knife and 
goes on the journey because he knows the father and the father wouldn't do something like that. So Abraham wouldn't go if he don't trust the father and Isaac wouldn't have went if he doesn't trust the father. So the Bible says, so they both went together. See, Abraham knew the nature of God past the commands of God. Think about this story. A lady busts in. She's a Gentile, Syrophoenician. And she busts in and says, my daughter's sick. And Jesus says, the bread is not for, it's not for you. It's for children. It's not for dogs. And then the Syrophoenician said, but don't the dogs get the crumbs that come from the master's table. And Jesus said, right now your daughter is healed. See, she knew Jesus past his command and past the dispensation of history that they were in. That when God made a promise to Abraham, he said, Abraham, through you all nations will be blessed. So she catches him while he's busy ministering to the Jews, but she said, hey, didn't you tell Abraham that all nations are going to be blessed because of you? So doesn't a crumb fall from the table and at least we get a little something, something here? Or Dorito? (laughs) Whatever. See, he understood the nature of God. His knowledge of God superseded God's command. That's why you sometimes read things in the Old Testament and you're like, what in the world's going on here? Stone disobedient sons that, you know, it's like, I mean, my kid can be pretty bad, but I don't think I could ever stone my daughter. Why is that? Because I understand the nature of God past that command. I understand God's nature past that command. I understand that God is more into the prodigal son coming home than he is punishing the son for coming home. So the same reasons you winced when you read this story, because you know God's not like that. And you don't have to believe that God is like that. God's not looking for retribution. He's looking for redemption. He's looking to redeem, to save. This story by a man by the name of Bob Gladstone and He was at the altar praying with some people. And there was this girl who was really being touched by the Lord and the Spirit of God was in the place. And and the Lord kept speaking to him. Tell her, God hates mommies and daddies. He said, God, I can't say that. You don't hate mommies and do you love them? The impression kept coming to say to this girl, God hates mommies and daddies. Finally, it got so strong, he said, I've got to take the risk because I know the voice of God and this is just too heavy on him. 
So he looked at the girl and said, I'm supposed to tell you God hates mommies and daddies. And she broke down and started weeping and just fell on the floor. When she had come to, she said, when I was abused by my parents sexually, that was the game that they called mommies and daddies. See, he had to know the voice of God past what his intellect was telling him was right or wrong. He had to understand the nature of God past the command. He knew God didn't hate mommies and daddies, but God in that instance was saying, I hate that. And she needs to know it, and you've got to tell her. And so that's what is going on here. We've got to know God personally, not merely reduce him to a book of a bunch of commands. You can know the Bible and not have relationship, and you won't be of the same spirit in interpreting the Bible correctly. The biggest Bible thumpers of the day were Jesus' biggest opponents. Biggest opponents. Because they weren't of the right spirit to interpret. Have you noticed the Bible is the same? Have you noticed it's interpreted a million different ways? Why? Because the spirit of the person brings that spirit to the table, and if they're not careful, they'll make God into this bloodthirsty, power-hungry, angry ogre that is mad at humanity all the time, and they'll never bring forth the true spirit of which the Word is in, and that is the Christ who dies on the cross for His people to redeem them and make a people for Himself that would live in eternity with Him. It says in John chapter 5, verse 39, as we said earlier, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now, in the Scriptures, we find how to be saved and find eternal life, but the Bible itself is not going to save you. I remember one time, I'm going to tell off on myself here, but I was a young preacher and I was crazy, okay? Like, y'all are seeing a very toned-down version of me, okay? When I first got saved, I I was just crazy, okay? So... I was mad at my youth group. They weren't living right. They didn't care less about the Lord. And so I grabbed my Bible (laughs) and I threw it across the room. And their jaws dropped. (gasps) He's lost his mind. And I said, you're tripping because I threw that Bible across the room. But you won't live one word out of it and apply it to your life. Who's more cursed? It was a shock value, and I was a youth pastor, so I could get away with it, but I wouldn't do that again. But you see what I'm saying here is that we have these things we exalt way up here, but then our lives aren't the reality lived out. So if we don't have the right spirit, we'll read this story and think something else. But when we've got the right spirit, we read it and say, oh, man, God's good. I don't even have to finish this out. This is going to end really well. And because Abraham has an understanding, he can walk right into that story. And wake up early. Put on the pot of Folgers. Get up. Let's go. Verse 9, And they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on top of the altar, on top of the wood. It keeps getting stranger, right? 
Verse 10. Aren't, aren't you a little bit of you like, come on, Abe. Like, what are you doing? What is going on here? Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. Maybe, but it doesn't read that way. It reads a methodical, just... And verse 11, watch what happens. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abram, Abraham, or Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Every time God interjects himself or his son, he's available. Oh, here I am. Oh, son, here I am. God, here I am. Abraham is showing us the nature of the father by his engagement with the father. Saying, father's nature is I'm available. And what is God known as? He reveals himself to Moses. Yeah, I am. So in a sense, he's saying, here, comma, I am. Here, I am. Here, I am. Abraham is available to God and man. What does Isaac, or uh, sorry, Isaiah the prophet and the coals put to his lips and here I am. Send me. There's availability to God and man here that Abraham has and that he's showing us the Father has. Verse 12, and he said, Do not, this is the angel talking, and he, do not lay your hand on the boy or anything, or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Now watch this. This is, so this angel of the Lord, which I believe to be Christ, so Christ is present. I know that you fear God. But now watch what he says in verse 12. Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from who? Me. So this wasn't an offering to an angel. We don't make offerings to angels. So we have God the Father and God the Son present together and not at odds upon a sacrifice that's going on between a father and son in whom neither one are at odds. It's like the Trinity is present here. Father and son are together and on the same page. Verse 13, And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abram went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Wow. God would be the God who provided, and that's how he's revealing himself to Abram. 
That's how He's revealing Himself to us. That the name Jehovah Jireh, that God would begin to define His name. And Jehovah is kind of this construct for men. It was a historical vocalization. Uh, the historical vocalization was lost of, of Yahweh. We really don't even know how. Uh, just in, it's called the Tetragrammaton, but it's, uh, you know, we see it spelled Y-H-W-H. We really don't even know how that was sounded. Because in second, temp- second century, the temple uh, area, or second temple Judaism, rather, during the third and second centuries BC, they begin to avoid saying that because they felt like it was too holy. So they would take in the vowel marks from Adonai and add it to that, where we get uh, Yehovah, or in the Latin form, Jehovah. So it's almost like when the name of God began to be taken away, maybe Yahweh. Jireh, it's almost like religion takes the name that God wants to be known as, adds things to it, and says, no, that's too holy for you to say. Add something to it, and then repackage it as something else. It's almost like God's name, or Yeshua, means God is salvation. And it's almost like God's name gets taken and and people say, well, that's too holy to say and we can't say this and so we're going to add these other things and make it into a name that we can say or can pronounce. And then we lose the name of God. It's like we lose the fact that we can approach God. We lose the name of God. When God told us what his name was. <laughs> Yahweh. And some rabbis think it was Yahweh because that's the sound you make when you breathe. Yahweh. Yahweh. That it was God who breathed in man. So that as you're breathing, you're saying God's name. That an atheist will take their last breath and say, Yahweh. (laughs) So don't let God don't let people steal God's name from your mouth. That God isn't into death. Death is his enemy. God's whole mission is to end death and have eternal life with people that will never have to die again. Death is God's enemy. So from this we can see Isaac strapped to the altar All the stuff's going on. God provides the sacrifice. And that's why Romans has this different twist on it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, And I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
present your bodies as a <laughs> living sacrifice so that we can see here that God doesn't want to destroy you. I remember coming, I was afraid to come to God because I was like, he's going to ask me to do something crazy that I don't want to do. Right? I'm going to be in a hut in a foreign country somewhere. Or I'm going to be really bored the rest of my life. Like God's going to destroy your life. And what I come to find was, is this is the best life I've ever had and more life than I've ever could have and more life than you could ever have. So when God calls Moses, fast forward, and he's on a burning bush, he's not consuming the bush. It's like God's saying, I don't need fuel to burn. I can descend on something that's very meek and light it up, but yet not consume it. And so it's like he's telling Moses, I know you feel like a bush, but that's where I light on. That's where I fall on is the bush. The humble, the no pretense, just those that have an open heart and will say, I'll go, here I am. Have the Father's heart. The Father says, here I am. says, here I am. So he's saying, hey, I'm self-existent in a sense. You guys heard it. You know, if that don't get you fired up, your wood's wet. I want to tell you something. God don't need dry wood. He don't even need wood. He's just the self. He just is. I am. He's the ever-present reality that is not changing or morphing into anything else. He always was. He always is. And he's always will be. So at every point in history, he's just, I am. So just let God land on you. He's not going to consume you or burn you up or call you into some crazy deal and punish you. He's looking for some living sacrifice. We've got enough Christians with sad faces that are so serious they can never even have any good times or never even, you know. Just let them light on you. And just get on fire for God. He's not going to burn you up. I remember we used to have this evangelist come through. And uh, when I grew up in church, nobody was safe. If you were in the back, he would work his way down the aisles. And he'd just go, grab get over here, you're sitting down. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I would be back there and I'd be like, yikes, this is trying to find a way out. And now I'm the first to the front. Uh, because I've come to understand that God's not going to mess your life all up you're going to step into the best life that you've ever had in your entire life. Your best life that you'll ever have. Let's pray. God, we just...